guys. Uh, welcome to Veritas. If we haven't met yet, I'm Emily McHenry. I'm on staff here with Veritas, and I'm really glad you guys are here tonight. And I don't know if any of you guys are really big, like, zoo people. Um, I know that I hadn't been to a zoo in a really long time until this summer um, when I was in Japan. Just kind of a spur-of-the-moment decision. Our team decided to go to this, like, random monkey zoo without looking up, like, really anything that had to do with this monkey zoo before going. And to be honest, it was, like, one of the coolest and also simultaneously, like, kind of sad experiences of the summer. Um, if you know anyone that went on the Veritas Japan trip this summer, just ask them about the monkey zoo because we have some of, like, honestly, the wildest videos and stories. Um, this is a picture of something that was happening. So when you walk into this monkey zoo, um, you're just kind of walking in this, like, open-air part. And these monkeys, I don't know what kind of monkeys they are, but they're just kind of, like, running around above your head. And at times, like, they would start to dangle themselves off of the ledge and start reaching for us, like, as if they were maybe going to jump. And so, of course, us, we're like, we're not going to let these monkeys just, like, I don't know, like, fall. And so we're, like, reaching up at them, like, offering to catch them, I guess. I don't really know. It was, like, really, um, honestly, wild. Like, what would happen if the monkey actually did drop? Like, would the monkey just start, like, roaming around this zoo? I mean, it was, like, literally an open space. We weren't in any sort of enclosure. So that happened. But then also, um, these other things started happening. Like, we, we went up to this monkey, um, and we were just watching this monkey, and the monkey started clapping, like, for himself. And, and his own clapping started to, like, rile himself up um, so much that he started to, like, huff and puff and, like, run and start pushing the other monkeys in his enclosure, like, completely over. That happened at one point, like, uh, Zach Skelton, if you know him, was standing in front of a monkey in an enclosure and started doing, like, this kind of motion. Like, he was just starting to go, like, back and forth. And the monkey started imitating him, like, mocking him and started also going back and forth. And then that got him amped up, so amped up that he ran himself into the, the plexiglass that was separating us and him. I mean, it was like, like kind of jarring, to be honest. Like it was like simultaneously like kind of funny, but like also like honestly, like really sad. Like we could see this kind of like anxiety play out in these monkeys, um, but obviously like there's not really anything we can do at it. We're just visiting a monkey zoo in the middle of Japan. And even if you haven't been to that particular zoo, if you've ever been to a zoo, you've probably seen animals in their enclosures that just kind of like pace back and forth, like endlessly. And this kind of pacing, but also this kind of behavior that we saw at this monkey zoo, um, there's a name to that. And, and this kind of behavior is called something called zoocosis. Zucosis is really only found in animals in captivity, animals at a zoo, and, and it's any kind of behavior that has no kind of, like, function or goal, but animals kind of just do this, like, repeatedly and endlessly. And so zucosis, this isn't, this is kind of, like, unavoidable at a zoo, because at the end of the day, like, a zoo is always going to be a zoo. Like, as much of as a zookeeper tries to emulate the natural environment of the animal, like a zoo is always going to be a zoo. Like the animal goes to sleep in a fake cave. The animal watches 
people watching it back like all day. It smells hot dogs and churros as people walk by. And it can hear the sounds of animals that belong at like a completely different continent, just a stone's throw away. Now, I'm not anti-zoo. I'm not, I'm not trying to get you guys to be anti-zoo at all. But if you've been to a zoo, you've probably seen this kind of anxiety in animals play out. And I bring this up because this idea of zoocosis, I recently read a book, and the author uses it to describe something that doesn't just happen in animals at a zoo. But he describes it um, as something that happens with you and me. Because just like an animal at a zoo, we often live in a way that we weren't meant to. And we live in this environment that is not set up to help us flourish in the way that we were designed to. And so we're really anxious. We're a really anxious generation. We pace back and forth. We do these things repeatedly, maybe endlessly, that don't have any sort of goal or meaning or purpose in life. We suffer from our own kind of zucosis. And there's like a million ways that this plays out in our lives. But tonight, with the passage that we're headed to, we're going to focus on one. And that one way is that our world is designed in such a way where we feel like we have to prove that we're good enough. We feel like we have to prove that we are good enough. And I say we because I'm like 100% a part of the problem. If you know me, you know that I'm an Enneagram 3. And if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, it's essentially this personality test. But instead of telling you what your strengths and weaknesses are, it tells you what your like deepest motivation and fear is in life. And so if you ever want to get like a stab to the heart, like figure out what your Enneagram number is. But for me, an Enneagram 3, the Enneagram 3's deepest motivation and fear in life is to be good enough. And so to be honest, I need this message as much as you do. In college, I would get so anxious and so worked up around exam season. I mean, remember, Enneagram 3, most basic fear is that I'm not good enough. Paired with the fact that I'm not a good test taker, like I never had that in my entire life, just wasn't good at taking tests. And so the night before my exam, often, like ask any roommate that lived with me in my room, the night before an exam, I would fling myself up out of bed. I'd be completely unconscious, by the way, like completely asleep. Fling myself out of bed and start to get ready for the day. Like frantically thinking that I'm going to be late for my exam. I start putting on my shirt. I turn on my straightener. I put a toothbrush in my mouth. And eventually, like, that kind of movement would wake me up, and I would realize that it's 3 a.m. I'm not going to miss my exam, and I need to, like, turn off my straightener, put my toothbrush back down, and go to bed. And now, if that's not a human representation of zucosis, to be honest, I'm not sure what is. But this drive, this feeling, this drive to be good enough, I don't think that it's just a me thing. And I don't think that it's just like a personality thing. I think this is a deeply human thing. And for some of us, like, we're doing pretty good at being good enough. Like, 
you're getting the friends. You're getting the grades. You're landing the job. I mean, in a world where it's up to you to be good enough to get the things, you're doing the things. Or at least maybe you haven't given up hope that you will get the things, that you will one day be good enough. But I would imagine that in a room this size, most of us in this room, like being good enough, like isn't working. Like you're struggling to find the friends. You're struggling to keep the grades up. You haven't landed the job. You're not in the friend group that you desired. And you're starting to think, or maybe like you're already convinced that the problem isn't those things out there, but the problem might be you. That maybe you aren't good enough. Or maybe from the outside, it looks like you're thriving. Like from the outside, it looks like you're being good enough. Like you're getting, it maybe looks like you have the grades, you're landing the job. It looks like you have the friends. Your social media feed looks like you're happy. But you can't help but get this nagging feeling that something is missing. You felt alone in a crowded room. You've wondered if your friends actually know you, and, and if they did know you, would they actually like you? You've questioned if the degree path that you're on is actually your calling. I mean, the way that our corner of the world works in 2023 is eventually gonna put us all in that spot. Whether or not being good enough is like working for you, at the end of the day, we all live in a zoo. Our world is not the way it's supposed to be. And so our world is gonna tell us that it's up to you to be good enough. And it's up to you being able to be good enough to get the identity, to get the sense of belonging, to get the fulfillment, the comfort, the happiness, the security, the relationships, all of those things are actually up to you being good enough. And so being good enough becomes this kind of like end goal in life. That like consciously and subconsciously, everything that we do is towards this end, this goal, that, that we're told and maybe we, we believe that that's, that's a real thing, that that's attainable, that we're one day gonna get there. But I don't need to tell you the stats that, you're, that our generation is the most anxious, the most depressed, the most lonely, the most overwhelmed, the most busy in any other generation that we know of. I mean, do you feel that? Like we're striving to prove ourselves that we're someone we're striving towards this end, but more and more, we're starting to look like an animal at a zoo. Tonight, we're gonna meet a guy who from the outside, it looks like he has it all like figured out. Like from the outside, it looks like he's doing pretty good at being good enough. From other passages that talk about this guy, uh, we know that he was wealthy, we know that he was young, and he was a leader in the Jewish faith. And so we pick up in Mark 10, verse 17, when Jesus approaches him, Jesus comes across him on the way to Jerusalem. It says, and as he was setting out on his journey, this is Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but God alone. Now I wanna pause here. 
Um, because Jesus makes it a pretty important claim here. And, and to be honest, the rest of what Jesus says to us tonight won't make a whole lot of sense unless we get this. Jesus says, and I think I have it highlighted, that no one is good except God alone. Now, to us in our ears in, in 2023, this verse is one of the more offensive verses that we can come across in the Bible. I mean, we live in a culture where the air we breathe is telling us that we are inherently good. And anyone that tells you otherwise is offensive, oppressive, even degrading to who you are. I mean, that's just the air we breathe. And so maybe you're someone in the room tonight and, and you believe that. Like, you're, you don't love that Jesus said that. You don't love that Jesus is quoted to say that no one is good but God alone. Now, if that's you, um, I'm really glad you're here tonight, but I want us to sit with that. I want all of us to consider, before you tune me out, what if that after all of our trying and our striving and our proving that we're good enough, what if we get there and we still don't feel like we are? I mean, remember the animal at the zoo. Remember zoocosis. What if... We were never meant to prove that we were good enough. I mean, go with me for a second. What if, contrary to everything that you've heard in college that says that if you want comfort, if you want stability, if you want happiness out of your career, then you have to be good enough to get those things. Like, what if, what if we were never supposed to prove ourselves in that way? What if... Contrary to social media, the pressure, like all of the things in culture that tells us that if we want the friends, if we want to have the identity, if we want to have the kind of belonging that we desire, then we just have to be good enough for it. I mean, what if we weren't designed to prove that we were good enough? Jesus goes on. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And this is the man, he says to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. Now, I don't think that this guy is like being super proud or like puffed up. Like I think he's being genuine here. Like I think that he has genuinely like been obedient to God all of his life. Um, and he's just really devout. And so earnestly, he comes to Jesus and he asks him, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I have done all of the right things all of my life. And I want us to notice something here. That this guy has been doing all of the right things. By all measures of success in his culture of the day, he would be doing pretty good at being good enough. And remember, he's rich, he's young, he's a leader in the Jewish faith. He's got things figured out, and yet he approaches Jesus because he has a sense that something in his life is missing. He hasn't quite figured it out. He hasn't quite found what he's looking for. I mean, isn't that interesting? Like, he's got it all, but he can't help but feel like something in his life is missing. We go on. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love this. And this is part of why I think the guy is being genuine and not just like bragging about all the things that he's done. 
Like, I think he's, he's someone that has genuinely stri- strived his whole life to do the right things and be good. And he's still like, I, I feel like something, I'm missing something here. And so Jesus sees all that and he loves him. He has compassion on him. And he gives him an answer. We go on. He says, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but Jesus is doing some funky math here. He says, you lack one thing, and lists four things. Go, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. Because I think Jesus is getting something to you getting to something here. Because all of these things, they're actually one thing, and it's his heart. He's saying that you can do all the right things. You can become someone. You can make a name for yourself. You can do pretty good at doing, being good enough. You can pursue comfort and security and wealth and all of those things, but it's not going to fix what's going on in here. And so the man responds, Verse 22, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Okay, before we start thinking of a certain person out there that has access to maybe their parents' credit card or an imaginary person that has a trust fund, before we start thinking about someone out there, I want us to start thinking about ourselves. I know that we come from a lot of diverse backgrounds in this room, but I looked up the other day, just just out of curiosity, like the average income of Americans um, in 2023 and how that compared to the world. And you know, the average income of Americans, no matter your background, just the average, is the top 4% in all of the world. We're the top 4% in all of the world globally in wealth. But then if you think about, not just today, but all of human history, like, think about the access that we have to things at the, at, at the touch of our fingertips. Like, Amazon and technology and all of these things has given us access to things that we can, we can have whenever we want, whenever we want it. I mean, we are, the people in this room are, some of the wealthiest people that have ever lived. And if you ever spent any time in the New Testament, Jesus is pretty harsh on wealth. Like, I don't know if you've ever read those passages and be like, Dang, Jesus, like, why are you so, like, added about money? Um, but I think that he's getting at something here. And I think that he's getting at the root. And the root is that wealth can start to convince ourselves that, that our identity, our meaning, our belonging, all of these things can be attained by ourselves. And so for a generation of people that are the wealthiest people in the world, we've done a pretty good job at convincing ourselves that pretty much anything we want in this life can be attained by us if we're just good enough. Pretty much anything we want can be attained by ourselves if we are just good enough. I mean, that's the American dream, isn't it? Like, anyone can be anyone if you just try. You just pick yourself up by your bootstripes, hello, bootstraps, and you try and you strive. I mean, anyone can be anyone. Success, comfort, happiness, all of these things, they can be mine if I just am good enough. 
if I just convince the people around me that I am good enough? And so if being good enough becomes this end goal in our life, it starts to shape everything we do. Like all of the choices we make, the habits we have, our routines, the ways that we spend our days is influenced by this desire to be good enough. And so we try and we strive towards this thing that we believe exists. But you just can't help thinking that something is missing. That maybe you haven't quite found yet what you're looking for. And you see, when we try and strive to create meaning out of our lives by our own means, we start to think, we start to convince ourselves that we can do the things that only God was meant to. That what we were created to find in God can be found in ourselves. And that weight can be crushing. I mean, some of you already feel that. I mean, cue the stats on anxiety, burnout, depression. This is our zoo. This is the environment that we find ourselves in, in how we live our days. And so, like an animal in a zoo, we pace back and forth. We anxiously do these things that we think are going to bring us happiness and comfort and fulfillment by our own means and by being good enough. But get this, this was not the way that we were supposed to be. This was not all we were made for. I want to dial it in just a little bit more. Imagine for a second that you're the rich young ruler. You approach Jesus and you ask him, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus knew that for the rich young ruler to get to his heart, to get to the part of him that was trying and striving and proving himself to be good enough, it was his wealth. But what is it for you? If Jesus asked you to give up something that revealed where your heart really was, that revealed the place in your life that you keep trying and striving to be good enough, what's that thing? Is it your grades? Is it success? Your performance? Your achievements? Is it a relationship? Is it your friendships, the opinions of others? Maybe it's your looks, your social media feed, your workout or beauty regimen, the way that you view yourself. I mean, what's the thing? Maybe it's, it's a good thing, but it's become a God thing because it's, you're looking for it to give you something that only God can. I mean, what's the thing that has your heart? What's the thing that you're trying and striving to prove that you're good enough for? And Jesus asks you, can you give it up? Can you give it up? Can you give it up for someone better? Someone that will satisfy you, that will fulfill you, that can actually give you the identity, belonging, and purpose that you're searching for. Do you want him? Or do you just want to keep trying to be good enough on your own? 
All of this reminds me of a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's pretty famous. You might have heard it before. It says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. We're chasing being good enough, and it's turning us into an animal at a zoo. We've accepted the anxiety and depression and loneliness and burnout of our life because it means that we're trying and we might actually one day be good enough. But Jesus comes along and he offers us another way. He offers us himself. He offers us eternal life. He offers us a way of life that is not dependent on you being good enough, but is dependent on him who has already proven himself good enough. Now, I want to go back to the first verse we read tonight. I kind of glossed over this earlier um, because I wanted to talk about here. But it sets the tone of this whole passage. It says, it's talking about Jesus here. And as he was setting out on his journey... This is a really small detail, one we could totally just like gloss past. But Jesus here, when we look at the book of Mark and where we're at in it, this is the beginning of Jesus's journey to Jerusalem. That might not sound that interesting, but this is the beginning of Jesus's journey to the cross. And so when the rich young ruler approaches Jesus, Jesus is on his way to die for him. He's on his way to die on the cross, be raised in three days, and offer us life from his death, a way out of zucosis, a way out of the anxiety of trying and striving to be good enough. He's offering us eternal life. The rich young ruler, he was doing everything right, but he kept feeling like something was missing. He knew life and life to the full would not come from, from making a name for himself, from being good enough. And so he came to Jesus, but he didn't want to give him his heart. He didn't want to give him his heart. There is another way, though. Peter says it at the end of this passage. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. We have left everything to follow you. We've left the status the reputation, the comfort, the fulfillment, the things that we think that we're going to get by being good enough on our own. Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. We know that the only way that we're going to get life and life to the full is in you, Jesus. We can't find it in ourselves. Now, as the music team comes back up, you and I, I think when we read this passage, John Mark, who wrote this, I think he purposefully kind of put us at a fork in the road, like a crossroads. And he's given us a choice. We have this choice to keep living our life, trying and striving and proving that we're good enough. And then we have this other choice, to leave it all 
and to follow him. And this choice is not one that we just make once and like graduate from. Like, I think that this is a choice that, that you and I have to make every day. I mean, I had to make this choice as I walked onto the stage tonight. Like, Jesus, am I, am I just going to try and strive to be good enough for these people? Or, Jesus, am I going to be faithful to you? And I'm going to have to wake up tomorrow and make the same decision. And he's calling you to, too. And I don't know about you. I don't know where you're at tonight. But the story of the rich young ruler, to be honest, it haunts me. Because if I'm being really honest with you, I see a lot of myself in him. And I know that he walked away. And so wherever you're at tonight, as we come up across this crossroads, one that you're going to continue to come up against, will you decide to keep trying and striving and proving that you're good enough? Are you going to choose to leave everything behind? And follow him. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you um, that you look at the rich young ruler and you see it all. I mean, you see like the anxiety, you see the loneliness, like you see that all of the things that he's doing isn't working and you still love him. And I thank you that, God, you know everyone in this room and you know the struggles that they're coming in with and the pressure that they feel to be someone, to make themselves great, to prove themselves to the people around them that they're good enough to get the things in life that only you can give us. And so God, I pray just tonight that you would be moving in our hearts to want to leave that all behind. God, would you help us um, to choose you? Would you help us to choose you today, but also wake up tomorrow? And as the pressure of, of, of grades and, and friends and social media, and I mean like all of the pressures that we feel of Jesus tomorrow, would you remind us of the crossroads? And would you remind us that you're worth following, that you're worth leaving it all behind to follow you? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Ooh.